Luke chapter 2, beginning in verses 8 through 20. It says, now there were in the same country shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them and the glory of the Lord shone round them and they were greatly afraid. Read terrified. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid. For behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which shall be to all people. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly hosts praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. So it was when the angels had gone away with them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing which has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. Now, when they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. Then the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Great joy is not the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of Jesus. In this familiar passage, Joseph and Mary have traveled to Bethlehem. Jesus is born. Shepherds receive an angelic visit. They come to worship the baby Jesus. It begins with a watch. Look at verse 8. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flock by night. The country, of course, is Bethlehem. It is a rural area even to this day. And shepherds continue to keep watch over flocks by night. But in the ancient world... Shepherds weren't looked at with a great deal of respect. As a matter of fact, we read the story and we begin to romanticize it a little bit. We go, oh, how quaint. Oh, there are shepherds. Oh, there's sheep. Oh, isn't that cool? The reality was that their work kept them away from the temple. It rendered them ceremonially unclean. They were despised. And they were rejected, they were isolated, and they were usually drawn outside of the circle that you and I would call the circle of friendship. I read a public opinion poll this week of the most respected and the least respected jobs. 
At the top of the list of respected jobs were medical doctors, veterinarians, nurses, scientists, even farmers, and thankfully soldiers. Priests and ministers were more respected in the United States than in Britain and in Canada. And it probably comes as no surprise to you that lawyers were below the 50 percentile. Low on the list were journalists. But you know who was at the bottom of the list? Politicians and car salesmen. Everybody's going, yes, yes. Do you know why God invented lawyers? It's so that real estate agents would have somebody to look up to. No, I'm just teasing. I'm just joking. If you're a lawyer or a real estate agent, it's just a joke. Sorry. I'll make fun of several more people before this message is through. In general, shepherds were thought to be dishonest and unclean, according to the standards of the law. And so they came to represent outcasts and sinners for whom Jesus came and died. You've got to understand something. They are on a watch. They're living in the field. And it just so happens that they have to be up for most of the night, much like some other people. Young mothers included. If you were to ask the religious leaders, name the people group least likely to receive a visit from angels, they would have put at the top of the list shepherds. Shepherds were seldom seen praising God. They were seldom seen worshiping God. They were snubbed and despised. Again, most certainly because they didn't show up to the ceremonial feasts and the ceremonial cleansings and the celebrations that took place in the temple. The flocks kept them busy. And so the Savior was coming to call sinners to repentance. And so it would make perfect sense that the first stop on the angels tour are a group of people who would be considered outcast, despised. Sinners. Some suggest that shepherds, again, are in the field between March and November, and therefore, whatever the date that is suggested for the birth of Jesus, that probably the least likely date is December. But I'm going to suggest some things to you that may or may not change your mind. You see, Bethlehem has a latitude of 31.7, and that may not mean a whole lot to you, but San Diego, California is on a latitude of about 31.7. Austin, Texas is on a latitude of about 31.7. And if you ask and answer the question, is it possible to go to the beach in San Diego in December? What do you suppose the answer is? Yeah, if you've ever been there, it can be beautiful. If you've ever gone to Texas in Austin in December, it is beautiful. And so it would make perfect sense that could shepherds in Bethlehem be out in the night? The answer is yes, they could. While it is true that the New Testament doesn't give an explicit date for the birth of Jesus, there are several reasons why December can be quite credible. My friends at GotQuestions.org who... I love and who I work with say, and I quote, speculation as to the time of Jesus' birth dates back to the third century. Read 200s. 
When Hippolytus, who lived from 170 to 236 A.D., claimed that Jesus was born on December 25th, the earliest mention of some of the observances on the date takes place in a calendar that's called the Philoclean calendar. You may not know about the Philoclean calendar, but it was made illustrated in 336 A.D., which mentions December 25th as the birth of Jesus. Later, John Chrysostom also favored the birth. Cyril, who was the the bishop of Jerusalem, think pastor Calvary Chapel, Jerusalem, in 348 to 386 also affirmed that date. What's interesting is he had access to the original Roman birth census, which also documented that Jesus was born on December 25th. Those who suggest that the church chose December 25th to coincide with the the Roman pagan feast of Saturnalia don't understand Roman feasts and Roman pagan feasts. Saturnalia was celebrated on August or December 17th. December 18th, December 19th, sometimes as late as December 21st. Some suggest that the date was commemorating to replace the pagan holiday Natalis, Solus, Invicti, which is Roman for birthday of the unconquered son. The Roman emperor Aurelian introduced the cult of Sol Invictus, that means the unconquered son, to Rome in AD 274. Aurelian resonated with this particular cult because of his own name. Aurelian was taken from a Latin word, aurora. You all know that word. Think of desolation, Saudi aurora. No, that's not what it means at all. Aurora was a Latin word which meant sunrise or the rising of the sun. By the way, the tradition never caught on. It was never popular among Rome and Roman citizens. Saturnalia was much more popular and much more traditional. So does the Bible give us a clue concerning the the birth of Jesus? Well, in a very real sense, it does. In Luke's Gospel, chapter 1, verse 5, we read the story of Zacharias, who was serving in the course of Abias, which is the eighth course of 24 priestly courses. There were 24 priestly courses in the ancient world of the first century. Priests were expected to serve one week and then another week, twice a week, once a year. Each course served one week. The course of Abias served the eighth week and the 32nd week of the annual cycle. So when does the cycles begin? Well, we have that answer from Jewish history. We discover that the first priestly course of Jojarib was on duty during the destruction of the temple in Jerusalem on the ninth day of the Jewish month of Ab. This means without a doubt the priestly course of Abias, which is the course Zacharias was on, was the second week of the Jewish month of Tishri, which is the very week of the Day of Atonement on the 10th of Tishri. In our calendar, the date of atonement The 10th of Tishri lands anywhere from September 22nd to October 8th. Zacharias and Elizabeth conceived John the Baptist somewhere around the end of September, the beginning of October. 
This would place John the Baptist's birth sometime around June 24th or June 25th. We read that Mary visits her cousin Elizabeth, who is about six months pregnant with John the Baptist. Subtract nine months from December 25th, we get March 25th, which was the date that celebrated the Annunciation of Mary by the angel. Fast forward, June 24, 25, add three months. What month is it? It's December 24, 25. The point of the passage is not the date. The point of the passage is in part the people who are given a supernatural announcement. The angel isn't going to appear to the Roman Senate. Or to the Roman emperor. He isn't even going to appear to the Sanhedrin. Or Herod whose palace is only six miles away. At the birth of Jesus an angel leaves heaven. And appears to a group of outcasts. Despised on the very fringe of Jewish social circumstances. Why? Because he's a savior for the poor. For the rejected. For the despised. The angel doesn't appear to the affluent. But to the afflicted. It would make perfect sense. That we would want our children and our grandchildren happy at Christmas time. But the truth is. It's a savior that makes Christmas Christmas. This is. One of those very rare years where I get to have all of my children with me. My oldest son, however, is deployed in Kuwait right now. He's in a gigantic sandbox preserving our freedom. My other children are here. All five of my grandchildren are here. And that's such a blessing. I love having them. My little baby Jaden, yesterday she was playing with her papa and she was holding, I was holding her and she's, she's grabbing my face and she grabs my ears and she goes, Papa, you have very big ears. And she says, Jaden has little ears. She grabs my nose and she goes, Papa, you have a great big nose. And she touches her nose and she goes, Jaden has a little nose. And then she grabs my face and she says, Papa, you are beautiful. Her mom walks by and goes, man, she knows how to work you. (laughs) Of course they know how to work their grandparents. That's the way it's supposed to be. It makes perfect sense that we love our children and we love our grandchildren. The favored and the affluent miss the first coming. And I'm going to suggest to you that the favored and the affluent run a terrible risk of missing the second coming. Because they're not in the right place at the right time. Conducting the right watch. 
The watch turns to wonder. Look at verse 9. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone round about them, and they were greatly afraid, read terrified, and that's the right word. We are not told the angel's identity. We get other passages where we're told that Gabriel comes. He makes the announcement to Zacharias. He makes the announcement to to Mary. But we're not told this particular angel's identity. We are told that angels are ministers, servants from God with messages from God. The Bible says that God spoke in different times and different places through the prophets. But he has spoken to us in these last days by his own dear son. We're also told that angels are interested in. Concerned about man's redemption in first Peter chapter one, verse 12. So we know that it's an angel. We know that his source is the Lord. And look what it says. And the glory of the Lord shone. I want to draw particular attention to the word shown. It's a compound word in the original language. Peri, which means around. You know that word. We get the word periscope from it. Lampo. Which sounds crazy, but it means lamp. Shone all around, the implication being there was a light. It began to shine, and as it shined, it was explosive, and it began to shine in each and every direction. An explosion of light from an interdimensional being. And it says they were greatly afraid, and you would be too. You see, when we read about the supernatural appearance of angels in the Old Testament and even in the New Testament, it is usually terrifying. In verse 10, it says, then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings of great joy, which will be to all people. Again, a careful reading of both the Old and the New Testament. You will see the angels begin the conversation with do not be afraid, because typically that's exactly what you were, because in reality, angels didn't show up unless it was to escort you to a place of final destination. And by the way. I'm going to suggest to you that most of you have seen an angel at least one time in your life. You may not have known it. The Bible says that sometimes they're among us and we're completely unaware of it. But I also guarantee that you will see an angel again. Prior to your journey to the next world. When an angel showed up, it usually meant judgment. It very rarely meant good news. When heaven shows up, hell complains. When heaven proclaims a message, hell often protests. This last week, a group of parents in Missoula, Montana, wrote a letter to the superintendent of schools claiming that Christmas carols were a form of bullying. Yeah, that's right. You should sigh. You should go, oh, good grief. Tidings of comfort and joy. God rest ye merry gentlemen. That's bullying. God comes to a dark world. There is light and there is love. There is reconciliation takes place. And this is a form of bullying. Does it shock you that some people hate Christmas? And it terrifies them. They're actually afraid of it. 
We live in a culture that plays hard and fast with words. I only got kicked out of school one time in my life. I was in the ninth grade. There was this bully and he would beat up on the less fortunate. And one day I just couldn't stand it anymore. And in gym class, I just beat the tar out of him. And of course, I got kicked out of school. In my day, a bully was an insolent, overbearing person who persisted in tormenting others. A bully was someone who used threats to harass and intimidate. Does that sound like the God of the Bible? Does that sound like the Lord of life? And it should never be said of Christians. We don't harass, we don't torment, we don't intimidate. Let me give you a story about what harassment and threats really look like. Christians in Somalia face real pain and real death. On December 8th, two masked men shot and killed Mersei, Isi, Saeed. He was 55 years old outside of his home in Belduin. That's 200 miles north of Mogadishu. Syed's oldest daughter, age 15, said her father was killed, quote, because he failed to attend mosque for prayers and he stayed home and prayed at home. She was weeping. She said he would tell us about Jesus. She received messages on her father's mobile home or mobile phone stating, Quote, we know what you're doing and you must stop. Otherwise, you risk your life, unquote. A Christian source in Mogadishu confirmed the killing. Another source in his village said Saeed was killed for leaving Islam. I want to ask you, how many people do you think are killed for leaving Christianity? We're singing songs. There comes a time when we need to revisit the angel's message. You don't have to be afraid anymore. What causes fear? Sin. What cures fear? Salvation and joy. Great joy. Now remember what I've said. Joy isn't the absence of trouble, but it's the presence of Jesus. And this isn't the first time that an angel ever spoke to human beings. They brought messages in the past from God. And even though sometimes those messages were messages of warning and messages of danger, there was never a message like this one. Good tidings of great joy to all people, Jews, Gentiles, for every person in every generation. The Bible teaches that God created human beings in his own image and without sin. But human beings were placed in a garden and tested and they failed the test. Most of you know the story. How Adam and Eve produced children and the oldest son killed the younger son. Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel. Sin passed to each and every generation. The family eventually forgot about God. It's horror. The affliction of sin on the mind and the soul and the body. And we have seen this these last few weeks. Pain. And then more pain. Sorrow. And more sorrow. Grief. 
and then more grief. And some of you, like me, have received news from family and friends who are suffering and who are experiencing great pain. In the past, the Lord had appeared to Adam and Eve and promised a savior through the seed of the woman. Appeared to Enoch, prophesying. Appeared to Noah and prophesied. Appeared to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and then Prophecies were given to Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and Daniel. The Lord kept revealing himself to the prophet Isaiah. The Lord said in Isaiah 65 verse 2, I have spread out my hands all along unto a rebellious people which walk in a way that is not good. Another way of translating that, I stretched out my hands all day long to stubborn people. They chose to go in the wrong direction. And God extends his hand of mercy and grace and forgiveness and hope in December and January and February and March and April and May and June, July and August, September and October and November. Here is God reaching out at every moment of every day throughout the year. But they followed their own plans. No wonder fear grips people. People have embraced their own lust and their own desire. No wonder fear grips them when they think about not just losing loved ones, but losing their own life. God would send his son, his only begotten son, so that everyone who would believe in him wouldn't perish, but have everlasting life. And so in verse 11, when it says, for there is born to you this day, underline it. This day in the city of David, a savior who is Christ, the Lord, the angel's message deserves volumes and deserves songs born to you this day in the city of David. Heaven's announcement. Look what it reads like a proud parent. A time is given today. A place is given city of David. A title is given savior, Christ, Lord. By all means, debate the day. Well, I don't believe it came on December 25th. Good for you. You can debate that it happened in January, February, March, April, May, June. Debate the day. But you know what this text says? For there is born to you this day. Do you understand what the text is saying? It's saying that the wait is over. The wait is over. With five grandbabies, I've come to learn about waiting. It usually has a time frame. Children get pregnant. They carry the baby to term. A baby eventually comes. And that's the angel's announcement to mankind. The wait is over. The time for waiting has come to an end. The prophecies concerning the coming of Messiah are fulfilled. God had promised a Messiah and now the date had come. By the way, this date has many different statements in the New Testament. It's called the fullness of time. It's called the acceptable time. It's also called the day of grace. In Hebrews chapter 3 verse 7 and 8, it says today if you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. 
There may be times when you're willing to listen and times when you absolutely ignore the voice of God. The Lord Jesus has many titles, but there's no title so full of wonder and so full of joy and so full of power as the title Savior. You see, you look at that word Savior and the title doesn't just speak about the identity of the person who has the title. It also speaks of the condition of the people who need this Savior. The very fact that there's a Savior implies that there's something wrong with human beings. They're sinners, both by nature and by choice. They need a Savior. We are Helpless and hopeless. And so the title Savior, we see the essence of the gospel salvation. In the title Savior, we see the infinite love of God. In the title Savior, Jesus can't be the Savior apart from God's willingness and ability to save. You see that, don't you? It would be ridiculous for the angel to call him a savior and it would be ridiculous for him to be ascribed the title unless God was willing to save you and able to save you. That's why it's great news. Look what it says in verse 12, and this will be the sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The angel gives a sign, a marker, an indicator, because you've got to understand something. This is Bethlehem. There are angels. The census is taking place. You will find a babe. Finding a babe wasn't all that difficult, but wrapped in grave clothes. That's what swaddling clothes are, by the way. They were the cheapest form of cloth. You would tear them into strips In order to bury your dead. Lying in a manger. Think cave. Think dark cave. Think in the recesses of a cave. That there is a ledge that's been formed. That serves as a makeshift. Feeding trough. The the shepherds must have thought. This can't be. This This can't be. If this person really is who you say this person really is, we've heard a lot about a Messiah and we've heard a lot about a person who's coming. The shepherds must have thought this can't be possible. If a babe is going to come, we're six miles from Jerusalem. Surely the baby is going to come in a palace and the, pa- the baby isn't going to be wrapped in, in a shroud. The baby's going to be wrapped in a king's cloak braided with gold. The angel's message is amazing for what it both implies, responsibility and opportunity. The moment the angel says, and this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling clothes, lying in a manger. The implication is that the shepherds have both the ability and the opportunity to look. Just like you, you have the ability and the opportunity to look. The shepherds must look. 
Verse 13 says, and suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God on the highest and on earth peace, goodwill toward men. If such words are spoken by interdimensional beings, angels, how much more do they belong on the mouths of sinners? Glory to God in the highest and on earth peace. Goodwill toward men. Why glory to God for providing redemption, for revealing the character of God, for establishing peace between himself and ourself, for making salvation available to any and all, for sending the Lord of life to rescue us from sin and from death and from the power of the adversary. The angels sing, listen, glory, peace, goodwill to God. Glory to the earth, peace to men, grace or goodwill. By the way, the word peace translates the Greek word Irene. In the first century, when moms and dads would have children, they would name their children. The two favorite names would be Irene and Charis. Irene means peace. Charis means grace. In the ancient world of Rome, the Pax Romana or the Roman peace was established and welcomed in about B.C. 27, which if the birth of Jesus takes place between four and six B.C., it's within a generation. In other words, the Romans established peaceful rule and peaceful roads. But the peace was always temporary. It was always subject to cruelty and revolt and uprising. And the word in the Roman culture came to mean those interludes of quiet between conflict. And you would hope that we would go a day or a week. Without hearing some tragedy or some difficulty. The word translates the Hebrew word shalom, which carries the idea of well-being and salvation. And by the way, in the New Testament, it was a word that described not just any kind of peace, but a settled peace where warring parties lay down their arms. It can mean a peaceful state of mind. It can mean rest. But I think that what the angel means is primarily peace As a state of reconciliation with God. In other words, God is willing to forgive you. And to save you. To cleanse you. To wash you. That human beings don't have to be estranged from God. They don't have to be separated from God. One Bible teacher, Marshall, declares that Irene here is, quote, Used to indicate the full sum of the blessings associated with the coming of the Messiah. If you take all the sum and the substance of the blessings that are associated with the coming of the Messiah. That's what that word means. And there's no real peace on earth. No lasting peace. Until King Jesus sits on his father's throne. And we love the expression goodwill toward men. We usually only hear it at Christmas time. Peace, goodwill, God rest ye merry gentlemen. I think that the reason why we love goodwill so much 
is because we're weary of ill will, aren't we? We are weary of people hurting each other. We are weary of crime and we are weary of sin and we are weary of murder. We are weary when we live in a culture where our children are supposed to be safe and they often aren't. We are weary. The word is eudokia, goodwill. It's in the nominative case that may not mean anything to you. The earliest manuscripts read eudokias in the genitive case. That may not mean anything to you. But let me help you understand what it means. Bible teachers suggest that eudokias in the genitive case includes not just goodwill. This isn't just have a nice day. This isn't just Merry Christmas and I hope everything goes fine for you. This word was a word that meant the idea of God's favor resting on God's people. It was a word that was rarely, if never used in the ancient Greek culture. As a matter of fact, the first time I've ever seen this word in any ancient Greek manuscript, secular or sacred, it's here. It was a word that I think may have been invented to describe God's favor resting on God's people to incorporate God's salvation. So when it says peace, goodwill, it's God's Favor resting on God's people in order to accomplish God's purposes. Isn't that beautiful? And so it goes to the shepherd's worship. Look what it says in verses 15 and 16. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, hey, let's go to Bethlehem. And see this thing. Oh, forget Bethlehem. Let's just tune into the Hallmark Channel. No, it doesn't say that. That's not what the text says. Let us now go to Bethlehem. And the, the Hallmark Channel is fine, by the way. Let us go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe lying in a manger. The angel returns to heaven. The shepherds say, let's do it. Let's see. In verse 16, I want to draw your attention to almost an invisible word. In verse 16, do you see where it says, and they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph. That word find, it doesn't mean to just stumble upon or happen upon. It doesn't mean... To, as luck would have it, you find it. It means to find after a careful search. The implication is it's found after there's been a deliberate inquiry that has taken place as they consider all of the things that have happened. And they begin a calculated, deliberate inquiry. They find Mary and Joseph. And where do they find them? In a cave. In a dark cave. With a baby. In a feeding trough. This week I read some interesting statistics. 
Do you know what a husband's number one fear is? It's fear of failure. Do you know what a number one fear among women is? It's that their their husbands will abandon them. That their husbands will leave them. For any reason or no reason. I want you to note the progression just for a moment. At first, the angels are afraid in verse 9. Then, excuse me, the shepherds are afraid in verse 9. The shepherds believe in verses 15 and 16. They come with haste, not doubting the message that they've heard. They praise and rejoice in verse 20. They had... The only sign given to them was this cave. Grave clothes. A funeral shroud. A dark and empty place. The Magi had a star to guide them. They had the word of an angel and a sign. For the shepherds, it produces excitement, which results in worship, a search, and then worship. A search, and they experience the child. A search, and they share the message. Most people will never find Jesus because they're really not looking for him. They're looking for anything and everything apart from God and apart from Christ. These shepherds find what they're looking for. They experience the child for themselves. And then the, the shepherds provide the first witness To the world after worship. Look at verse 17. Now when they had seen him. They made widely known the saying. Which was told them concerning the child. The shepherds caused a stir among the people. They sought. They found. They experienced the child. They share what they've seen. Their witness in the ancient world went viral. Ordinary people with an extraordinary story being heard by thousands of people. I saw this crazy, stupid video that had 800 million hits. It's called Gangnam Style. It's this Korean rapper. And it's crazy. And stupid. But I want you to think about this. 800 million people watched the video. Scores heard the shepherds. Then hundreds. Then thousands. Then millions. And I'm going to suggest to you that their witness continues. Not just to the next generation or the next hundred years or the next thousand years, but people are going to gather on the four corners of the globe. And many of them are going to tell this story once again. And look what it says in verse 18. And all those who heard it marveled at those things which were told them by the shepherds. What was told by the shepherds? You think it was just simply, dude, an interdimensional being, an angelic being burst on the scene. It was like a supernova right in front of us. Clearly, whatever the message was, it was a supernatural messenger appeared with a supernatural message. We were told not to be afraid. 
and that the wait was over. We don't have to be bullied by sin anymore. We don't have to be bullied by fear anymore. We might even say fear caused by sin or fear caused by pain and suffering because we know that sin brings judgment and wrath and we know that God permitted sin for a season, but he's way more interested in forgiving sin and reconciling human beings to himself. And look what it says in verse 19, but Mary kept all these things and pondered them in her heart. What things? All the things. An angel had showed up to her and And said that she was going to be overshadowed by the Holy Spirit. Mary knew the truth. She knew and had been told by an angel. She was told about an unplanned and unexpected and unmarried pregnancy. Do you know how much pressure that is on a relationship? Rumors. Suspicion. And if we read the text carefully, we understand that even Joseph had a moment of doubt. Look, I may be from the first century and I may be from Nazareth, but I know that ladies don't have babies without help. Well, it's true. Babies, ladies don't have babies without help. Usually there's human help. Only one time in all of recorded history was it a supernatural source. But you can imagine the pain and the pressure that that puts on a relationship Rumors, suspicion. She had made the long journey from Nazareth, exhaustion. She was doing exactly what God asked her to do, and she's in a cave with a man who's her husband, but is not the baby's father. Shepherds show up with an amazing story. And it says the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all of the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. This is not a mythological experience, but an experience by a group of people who heard with their own ears and saw with their own eyes. What should we take away from this? The shepherd's Christmas began in fear, but it continued in faith. It begins in fear, it continues in faith, and it ends with glorifying and praising God for everything that he has done. God had spoken to them by an angel. They heard the message. They experienced the child. They praised the Lord. Some of you have heard the message from a very early age. And for whatever reason, you've never experienced the child. You've never conducted that careful inquiry of where you might find Jesus. You'll no longer find the babe wrapped in swaddling clothes and in a cave. But the living Lord Jesus says, died. And risen from the dead and ascended into heaven so that we don't have to be afraid anymore. Fear is replaced by joy. You know, fear takes many forms. This week I was reading 
that some people fear flying, but I think it's really they fear crashing. On the short list of fears, public speaking. I know you watch me do this and you think, well, anybody can do that. Good, you can try it, okay? It's not as easy as it looks. Fear of heights. I think it really means fear of falling. Fear of intimacy. Fear of the dark. Is this a fear that ever goes away? Fear of failure. Fear of dying. Fear of rejection. Fear of commitment. Fear of being alone. But what fear was taken away that holy night? It was the fear that was caused by sin. It was the fear of cares and suffering and the fear of death. And what replaced that fear? Tidings of comfort and joy. My granny, who I miss every single Christmas, used to say to me, there's no fear like the fear of being found out. She would usually say it when I was found out. There is no fear like the fear of being found out. Could it be that that terrifying first experience among the shepherds was the fear that an angel had come to take them to a place that they were unprepared to visit and unprepared to go? No wonder the message is so filled with hope and joy. You know, G.K. Chesterton said that joy is the gigantic secret of the Christian. And remember that great joy is not the absence of trouble, but the presence of Jesus. This is why you can have great joy, even though things might be difficult, even though things might be painful, even though things might not be exactly as you wish them to be. But make no mistake about it. If you have the presence of Jesus, you have everything that you could possibly want for Christmas. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for your love, your beauty, your grace, your mercy. Lord, we thank you that for the world, the wait was finally over. Lord, we know that the world is sharply divided. Between those who believe that the wait is over and those who are still waiting. Those who have never experienced hope and grace and mercy and love. Who've never experienced what it means to know and love Jesus. And so, Heavenly Father, we pray, we pray, we pray for our family, for our friends, for our loved ones, for our neighbors. But, Lord, we also pray for that person whose heart is empty. We pray that you would fill it. Whose conscience is guilty. We pray that you would forgive them. Whose attitude is not one of joy or peace, but fear and desperation. Lord, we pray that you would speak to them and you would remind them that there is an antidote. It's called love. And it's called grace. And it's called mercy. 
And it's called forgiveness, all accomplished by the person of Jesus Christ. So, Lord, we pray that we would turn from our sin and we would turn to the Savior. In Jesus' name, amen.